Welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we are in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 reads, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, the king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been in enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. And the third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. For they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances, and the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. But this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever been laid yet. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. For today's nugget of truth, I want us to focus in here on verses 28 through 31 of this chapter. And so as Jesus is moving towards the crucifixion, there's this crowd that's following him, that's mourning what's taking place. And so I think it's important that we note that context of what's happening here. The religious leaders and the elite were trying to do this against him. But it wasn't necessarily the motives of the crowd. And so as we see what Jesus responds to these people, it's very fitting for the situation as well as for what is going to be happening to this city specifically. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem several chapters before, we saw that as he was coming in, he pronounced judgment against the city and what was going to take place. In these verses, 28 through 31, we see he does the same thing in his largest discourse here in this chapter. It says here, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? So this is an extended judgment against the city of Jerusalem. And it says that it's going to be better in these future days for these people who were barren and never had kids than the people who did have kids. And that's a real striking thing to be said. Throughout scriptures, we see how being childless was seen as being a judgment from the Lord, and it meant that God had turned his favor from you. And so to say that it would be better for people to not have children than for them to have children is a significant indictment against what's going to come. Because he says that in those times, they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us, which is a quotation from Hosea 10, 8, calling the Lord to remove them from the earth so that they no longer suffer under the weight of judgment. Because what he gets to at this last point, in the last verse here, verse 31, he says, For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? And so basically they're bringing this image of when you burn wood that's green, it takes a lot longer for the wood to burn because it's not in a state or in an ability to be easily burned. It still has the moisture and the nutrients in it. But when the wood is dry and the wood has been uh, pulled away from its source of those nutrients and the judgment, the fire comes, it burns easily. And so Jesus here is receiving the judgment of God and he is the one who is abiding in the life and the nutrients and what's happening. So they weep not for their own judgment that they're receiving, but they weep for the judgment that they see that's coming upon Jesus, who they know is righteous and who is not worthy of these punishments that are coming to him. But he says, hey, wait, you need to be prepared for the judgment that's coming to you, because if it's been this severe for me, 
the greater judgment that's coming is going to be significant upon the people. And as we look at that and we think about what he's saying, he's calling to prepare them for the judgment that's coming. He's warning them about what's there. They still don't understand what's happening fully. They are not in the know about the resurrection, even though he's plainly and clearly said that. But these people, this crowd that was following, that was mourning him, he's warning them about the coming judgment of the Lord that will be carried out by the hands of the Romans upon the city of Jerusalem in AD 70 as they lay waste and they annihilate so many people that are there. And so it's significant that when Jesus is leaving earth, as he sees the people who are mourning what's taking place, he warns them about the coming judgment against them. If God's wrath is going to be poured out upon the sinless one that he is, how significant is the greater wrath going to be that comes upon those who are without covering, who have not had their sins atoned for, who are not under the blessing of the salvation of the Lord. This should come as a sobering reminder for us about the wrath of God and should motivate us to search and see if we are truly in the faith, if we have been grafted into the people of God by accepting the offer of salvation that Jesus gives to us. As far as our question for today, I want us to focus in on Jesus's response to the criminal on the cross. And when he says, today you will be with me in paradise, what is paradise? As we look into that word, we'll find that it's used in three places in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 12, we see that that word is used as Paul is talking about the vision where he's caught up into heaven. We also see that it takes place in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. In that context, it's the letter to the church in Ephesus, and it ends with, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's also interesting to note that the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, uses this same word in the context of the Garden of Eden. And in the context here in Revelation, that's the context that's there. And so this picture of paradise being this representation of the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden being the place that man was created to be and to dwell with God, which is what we are commonly calling heaven. And so paradise here, it means significantly in terms of like what we are generally speaking, we would use the word heaven, but is a much fuller definition of what heaven is going to be like, the place that we were designed to be in communion with God before sin had entered the world. And so that word paradise, the Garden of Eden image that's with that, is a significant thing for Jesus to be offering to this person who was dying on the cross beside him. So maybe that was your question today. Maybe you have another question from this passage. This is one of the situations where we've walked through this now in the third version or the third perspective. And so you still may have questions that you're wrestling with as you think about the crucifixion of Christ and the significance of these trials. But answer that question or seek to find the answer to that question by speaking on God's word with others, by studying it with the tools that you have so that you're growing in your understanding of how God is preparing you to live a life worthy of your calling. You are loved. You are